Amen. Please be seated and turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 16, our text this morning as we continue through the book of Exodus. If it is true indeed that God has spoken and if it is true that Jesus died for his people, the church, And if it is true that we are sanctified by the truth of God's Word, then this indeed now is the most important thing that any of us will do this week as we submit ourselves to the preaching of the Word of God here on Sunday morning. Exodus chapter 16, we're going to read the whole chapter. Starting in verse 1, the Holy Spirit says this, They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of Yahweh in the land of Egypt, when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was Yahweh who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of Yahweh because he has heard your grumbling against Yahweh. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when Yahweh gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because Yahweh has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against Yahweh. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before Yahweh, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of Yahweh appeared in the cloud. And Yahweh said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am Yahweh your God." In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that Yahweh has given you to eat. This is what Yahweh has commanded, gather of it. Each of you, as much as he can eat, you shall take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And, and the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. 
But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each, and when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what Yahweh has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to Yahweh. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning." So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to Yahweh. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And Yahweh said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, Yahweh has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what Yahweh has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before Yahweh to be kept throughout your generations. As Yahweh commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to the habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth part of an ephah. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Holy Father, we ask now that through your word we would taste and see that you are good. We pray, our Father, in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Americans have a very strange love-hate relationship with bread. On the one hand, our love for bread can be summarized in a Jim Gaffigan tweet. Jim Gaffigan said, my favorite flavor is bread. I can identify with that. We love our carby goodness and we love it in all of its different forms. On the other hand, in recent years here in America, there has been a resurgence of health consciousness, and the first casualty is always bread. If you want to lose weight, cut out carbs. Always trying to take our bread away. The strictest of the health nut Pharisees will gladly voice their disapproval whenever they see you eating any form of bread. In the ancient Near East, bread was not viewed this way, though. Bread was not viewed on the spectrum of indulgence and health consciousness. 
In the ancient Near East, bread was a matter of life and death. To have bread was to have sustenance. It meant that you would not go hungry that day. In contrast, to be without bread meant that you might go hungry that day. No bread meant death. Bread meant life. And this is the setting for us in Exodus chapter 16 this morning. Now let's kind of recalibrate because uh, last week, Pastor Kevin preached a beautiful Reformation Day sermon for us. Thankful for that. If you were not able to be here, please go to YouTube, Facebook, check it out. But that also means that we've been out of Exodus for a couple weeks. So let's kind of remind ourselves where we are in the Exodus narrative. In Exodus chapter 14, Yahweh via Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, or the Sea of Reeds more literally. And then in Exodus chapter 15, Moses led the congregation of Israel in a song of congregational worship to the Lord for his salvation. At the end of Exodus chapter 15, Israel traveled three days into the wilderness. They were unable to find water. They arrived at Mara. That's what they called it. The word Mara is the Hebrew word that means bitter. They arrived at the place where there was bitter water that they couldn't drink. And Yahweh is testing Israel through the bitter water, and Israel's response is to complain and to grumble. God then miraculously turned the bitter water into sweet water. Israel had failed God's test, and God tells them at the end of Exodus chapter 15 that if they will obey his commands, that they will experience the blessings of the covenant, and if they rebel against his commands, that they will experience the curses of the covenant. And now we come to Exodus chapter 16, and there's a sort of recapitulation here of the end of Exodus chapter 15. In Exodus 15, the testing was about water. Here in Exodus chapter 16, the testing is about food. And once again, we will see that the Holy Spirit, both in world history and in the canon itself, is providentially, he is, the Holy Spirit, he is providentially uh, overseeing and documenting these events for us to lead us to the good news of Jesus Christ. So as we come to Exodus chapter 15, there are three themes that we see throughout this pericope. The first theme is that there is more complaining and more testing. More complaining and more testing. The second theme that we see is that of the Sabbath, and the third theme is that of remembering. So we have more complaining and testing, we have the Sabbath, and we have remembering. The first theme, once again, is complaining and testing. Once again, the Lord tests Israel, and once again, Israel complains. In Exodus 15, Yahweh tested Israel through the water. Here in Exodus 16, Yahweh tests Israel through the food, the bread, and both times Israel complains. In verse 2, the whole congregation of Israel grumbled. This is their, the content of their grumbling. They say, in Egypt we sat by the meat pots and we ate bread to the full, but you brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You brought us out here 
and now we're going to die of starvation. They're complaining to Moses. But in verse 8, Moses says to Israel that your grumbling is not against me. Your grumbling is not against Moses and Aaron. Your grumbling is against God himself. Like the water two weeks ago, we can be tempted to give Israel a pass here. After all, haven't the Snickers commercials taught us that you're not really yourself when you're hungry? But actually, the opposite is true. It is an adversity that true character is revealed. Charles Spurgeon said that if we do not trust God when circumstances are adverse, then we don't trust God at all. If we don't trust God when circumstances are adverse, then we don't trust God at all. Complaining is telling God, I don't like where you have me. Complaining is questioning God's abilities and God's motives. Complaining is a vote of no confidence for God. It's a healthy reminder for us. We were reminded of that two weeks ago. I know moving forward in the book of Exodus, we will be reminded of that again. And so let me just encourage you, if you have a sinful disposition wherein you are more than likely to complain, please heed the word of the Lord this morning. Complaining is rebellious sin. It is questioning God's character and God's motives. And we are called not to complain. Complaining is sin deserving of eternal hell. Like the Lord did with the water here in Exodus 16, he tests Israel. Verse 4 uses that word that he tests them. And God says that he will rain down bread from heaven and the people will then go out every day to gather a day's portion, a day's food. And God will test them to see whether or not they will walk in his law or not. What we see here in Exodus 16 is that Yahweh is literally giving them their daily bread. God gives them quail meat in the evening, and they wake up to bread on the ground in the morning. When the people wake up and they find the bread, they ask, what is it? In verse 15. They're like Jack Skellington in Christmastown. What's this? What's this? The Hebrew bread is called manna. The Hebrew phrase, what is it, literally sounds like the word manna. So they name the bread, what is this? It's manna. What is God doing? Well, God is testing them. He's testing Israel once again through miraculous provision. You see here, this is a bit of a recapitulation of Exodus 15. He tested them with the bitter water, and then he miraculously changed the bitter water to sweet so that it was drinkable. Now he is testing them through raining down bread from heaven. And Scripture once again reveals to us that Israel fails God's test. Moses tells them not to save any of the bread. You take what you will eat for the day, you consume it, you don't try to hoard it, you don't try to save it. But some of the people do try to save the bread. And the bread stinks and it produces maggots. Moses tells the people that on Friday they are to collect twice as much bread because they are to rest on the Sabbath. 
But of course, on the Sabbath day, Israel, some of the people go out and they try to collect bread. Over and over again, what we see in the Old Covenant is that Yahweh is gracious to Israel, and over and over again, Israel rebels against Yahweh. Like Adam before them, Israel refused to obey God's law. They need one who would obey God's law in their place. We pointed out two weeks ago that in this way, Israel serves as an antitype to the Lord Jesus Christ. After his baptism, Jesus went out into the wilderness and he passed God's test. He did not complain after a month of fasting. Instead, when Satan tempted Jesus with food, Jesus responded, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 4.4. Matthew is telling us that Jesus is the true and better Israel who passed God's test by obeying God's law in perfect righteousness. So that's the first theme that we see is the complaining and the testing. The second theme we see in Exodus 16 is that of Sabbath. An important part of keeping Yahweh's law was keeping the Sabbath. We know in Exodus chapter 20 that Yahweh will give Israel the first ever written scripture, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were written by the finger of God himself. And the fourth commandment is to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But those commandments hadn't been given yet, and Yahweh still here commands Israel to keep the Sabbath. Israel then breaks the Sabbath by going out to collect bread on the Sabbath. We see in this text that Yahweh takes the Sabbath very seriously. Look at verses 28 through 30. Yahweh said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the Sabbath day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the Sabbath day. In Exodus chapter 16 here, the Sabbath is enforced even before it was formally given in the Ten Commandments because the Sabbath itself is ingrained in the fabric of creation. Genesis 1 and 2 tells us that God created all things in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. The Hebrew word Shabbat, transliterated as Sabbath, literally means rest. This pattern of work and rest is part and parcel of what it means to bear God's image. We were not created to work all day, seven days a week. We were not created to rest seven days a week. We were created for a pattern of work and rest. The Sabbath is not merely an old covenant institution, but it is a creation reality. Like marriage, the Sabbath has been part of the human experience even before the fall. But the New Testament also reveals to us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Jesus calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. In Matthew 12, 1 through 8, Jesus is the true and final rest for the people of God. And because Jesus resurrected on Sunday, the first day of the week, the Sabbath has now moved from Saturday to Sunday. This is important. The Sabbath has not been abolished. The Sabbath has been redefined and it has been moved. 
quoting the Westminster Confession of Faith, this is what the 1689 London Baptist Confession says of the Christian Sabbath. It says, It is the law of nature that in general a portion of time specified by God should be set apart for the worship of God. So by his word, in a positive moral and perpetual commandment that obligates everyone in every age, he has specifically appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy to him. From the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, the appointed day was the last day of the week. After the resurrection of Christ, it has changed to the first day of the week, which is called the Lord's Day. This day is to be kept to the end of the age as the Christian Sabbath, since the observance of the last day of the week has been abolished. That's the London Baptist Confession, chapter 22, article 7. Christians keep the fourth commandment by gathering for worship with the church every Sunday morning. That means when we neglect to gather together, we are breaking the fourth commandment. Do not believe the lie that God cared about the Sabbath in the Old Testament and that he doesn't care about it anymore. The Sabbath predates the law. The Sabbath has been ingrained in creation from the beginning. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and we keep the Sabbath now by gathering for worship with the church every Sunday morning. So that's the second theme we see in this text, Sabbath. The third theme is to remember. That's the third theme we see in this passage. Look again at verses 32 through 33. The scripture says, Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before Yahweh to be kept throughout your generations. So not only did Yahweh provide the manna for them to eat, but he also commanded Israel to keep some manna in a jar so that they can remember how Yahweh fed them bread from heaven in the wilderness. When their children asked about the manna in the jar, they were to teach their children how Yahweh fed them bread from heaven. The generations were to remember God's salvation and his provision through the tangible witness of the bread. Because we are embodied creatures, and because God originally created the world good, God cares about the physical. God cares about the tangible. We must guard against a form of Christian Gnosticism wherein we value the spiritual over the physical. The spiritual and the physical are always connected. In the New Covenant, God has given us the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper as tangible signs of a spiritual reality, namely the gospel. This is most ultimately true because the eternal God descended to his physical creation and took on human flesh in the incarnation. You see, ultimately, the bread in the wilderness from Exodus chapter 16 is another Holy Spirit inspired, providential picture that is leading us to the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the eternal second person of the Holy Trinity. John 1, 2 says that Jesus was in the beginning with God. We confessed earlier, as Pastor Brett led us in the Apostles' Creed, that the eternal Son of God was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. 
Jesus lived a truly human life. He obeyed God's law perfectly in word, thought, and deed. Jesus had a three-year ministry wherein he announced the inauguration of God's kingdom. Jesus healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He exercised the possessed. But most importantly, Jesus preached. In our call to worship, Pastor Zach read from one of Jesus' sermons in John chapter 6. After Christ had fed the hungry, Jesus declared himself to be the bread of life that has come down from heaven. Just as Yahweh provided manna from heaven for the people in Exodus chapter 16, so God provided the bread of life from heaven for his people in Christ. And on the cross, Jesus' body was broken like unleavened bread. In Scripture, leaven represents sin. And Jesus was the sinless one whose body was broken on the cross. At Calvary, Jesus took the penalty for our sins, for the sins of his people. But he could only do so because he was the true and final unleavened bread. Because he was the righteous one the law-abiding, covenant-keeping one. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. And on the third day, God rose. He raised Jesus from the dead, proving that God had accepted Jesus' sinless sacrifice. Now everyone who will repent and believe in the good news will receive the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. Repentance happens after the Holy Spirit changes your heart and you understand that you are a sinner who deserves hell. You then turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus alone. Faith in Jesus means that you have the knowledge of who Jesus is and what Jesus did, that you assent to the validity of those truth claims, and that you then finally transfer your trust to Jesus alone. If you reject Jesus, you will receive eternal conscious punishment in hell. To reject the bread of life yields death. If you will repent and believe, God will forgive your sins and you will live forever in the new earth when Jesus returns to raise the dead, to judge the world, and to make all things new. To receive the bread of life nets eternal life. If you have any questions about the gospel, I would ask you after church, please come talk to me, talk to Pastor Kevin, talk to any of the elders who led in the liturgy this morning because this is the most important thing that you can ever do. This is the most important thing that any human being can ever do in all of human history is to believe the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We would love to tell you about how you can be right with God and have assurance of eternal life. Bread, though, is not only a major theme in the Old Covenant, but it's also a major theme in the New Covenant. So Scripture teaches, or Scripture uses bread, excuse me, to teach us about Christian discipleship, both as individuals and also in the community of the church. So we see this teaching individually, most prominently in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus teaches us to to ask the Father 
to give us this day our daily bread. We should note, though, that even this petition isn't purely individualistic. Jesus doesn't teach us to pray, give me this day my daily bread. Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. So the first person plural reminds us that the Lord's prayer is for the church. Now, that being said, uh, the petition for bread in the Lord's prayer certainly does have individual application. We apply that then to our daily lives. First and foremost, in the petition for bread, we are looking to Jesus, who is the bread of life, who alone satisfies our souls. Jesus is the true bread of life that came down from heaven. Jesus is the true and better manna. We need Jesus every day. Every hour, I need you. The gospel is not merely the doorway into the Christian life. The gospel is the Christian life. We need the gospel every day. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to preach the gospel to our children, to our grandchildren, to our family and our friends. We need to apply the gospel to every situation. The gospel life. But the petition for bread in the Lord's prayer is not merely spiritual, it is also tangible. Because God doesn't merely care about the spiritual, he cares about the physical. Just as the Father provides for us spiritually in Christ, he also provides for us physically. The, the prayer for daily bread is us asking our Heavenly Father to meet our daily needs. That's why we ask for daily bread, not weekly bread or monthly bread or annual bread. Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Just as the manna was new every day and would melt away in the sun or would rot if it was trying to be hoarded, so we should ask God every day to meet our needs because God wants us to rely on him every day. When I was in seminary, I was a grader for Dr. Chad Brand. He taught uh, history and theology at Southern Seminary. And Dr. Brand had a great post earlier this month or last month maybe on Facebook, and he was discussing what we mean by the petition, give us this day our daily bread. I want to read it to you because he speaks to the tangible nature of God's provision. He says, when we pray, give us this daily bread, it is a prayer that God would give us health, the ability to work, a place of employment so we can earn our bread, a wife who can bake our bread that is to come, children who can join us in the feast, a government that will not interfere with our working for bread or take too much of our taxes that we cannot afford bread, a roof over our heads so that we can eat the bread in comfort. And it is a prayer that others around us would have the same opportunity since he said, give us our bread, not just me. The petition for daily bread is a petition that God would meet our daily needs. He is our heavenly father. He is our protector and our provider. There is nothing that we have that has not been given to us by God. This works against what we are indoctrinated, how we are catechized as 21st century Americans. Because we are taught individualism. We are taught self-sustaining. Uh, we are taught 
independence. We are taught your story is all that matters. Do what makes you happy. Yourself above others. But the petition for daily bread reminds us that no one is a self-made man. No one is a self-made man. No one has pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. God is meticulously sovereign over every molecule in the universe. So it is fitting that we not only acknowledge God's provision in our lives, but also that we look to him to provide for us. We must not trust in ourselves. We must not trust in our money or our abilities. It is our Father in heaven who gives us our daily bread. But the bread symbolism is not merely individualistic, it's also communal. We see this in multiple ways. Uh, first and foremost, we, we, we inherently know it as a reality, and Scripture testifies to the, to the reality that there is, a, there is a unique fellowship that occurs around food, around consuming food together. And we try to... Um, we try to lean into this through our church at Christ Community Church through our small groups that we call flocks. We designate specific times where as a church we gather together to eat together in homes because there is a unique fellowship, there is a unique ministry that occurs between people when we eat together. We see this formally every single Sunday as we gather together at the Lord's Supper. We mentioned earlier that God has given us the sacraments to remind us of his grace, just as he had Israel keep the manna in the jar so that they would remember his grace. The Apostle Paul makes this clear for us when he writes this in 1 Corinthians 10, 16-17. He says, The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Church, we make a radical statement of unity when we come to the Eucharist every Sunday. We all come from different ethnic, political, cultural, and socioeconomic backgrounds, but we all come to the same table and we eat the same bread and we drink the same wine. Holy Communion is the place where we look back at the death of Jesus and we look forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. But it's also the place where we remember every single week that in Christ we all stand on level ground. We all eat the same bread. Regardless of skin color or gender or age or financial portfolio or whatever your address is or whatever your education is, we are all sinners who need to consume the righteousness of Jesus, who need Jesus' righteousness imputed to us in order that we have communion with our holy God. That's true of the elders. It's true of the deacons and the deaconesses. It's true of every member of Christ Community Church and every regenerate member of every gospel-preaching church on the globe. There is one hero of this story. There is one righteous one. He is the bread from heaven. Scripture does not view bread as a matter of indulgence or health consciousness. In the Bible, bread is a matter of life and death. 
And the bread from heaven in Exodus chapter 16 points us to the bread of life that came down from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in Christ alone that we find eternal life. And Jesus gave us the bread and the wine to be consumed every Sunday so that we can remember and that we can proclaim that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, rise now and come to the Lord's Supper.